0: I'm excited for you to hear today's episode. Let's get into the show. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fit Vegan Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Cyrus Kambata. Did I say your last name properly? That's exactly right. You got it. All right, beautiful. All right, so Cyrus PhD. Uh, so earned a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from Stanford University. He earned a PhD in Nutritional Biochemistry from the University of uh, Berkeley. And he also the co-author of many peer-reviewed scientific publication and co-author of also Mastering Diabetes. Um, he's a co-founder of Mastering Diabetes and Amla Greens and is an internationally recognized nutrition and fitness coach who's been living with Type One Diabetes since 2002. He co created the Mastering Diabetes Method to Reverse Insulin Resistance in all forms of diabetes and has helped more than 10,000 people improve their metabolic health using a low fat, plant based, whole food nutrition, intermittent fasting, and exercise. Cyrus, you're well accomplished, my man. How are you doing today? <laughs> Thanks a ton, Max. It's great to be here with you. Hey, isn't that funny when people read your bio? Like, you know, I did some cool shit or like, ah, maybe it doesn't feel like I did that much cool shit, but it is cool to other people. No, it's funny because I'm listening to that. and I'm sort of like, huh,
1: like who wrote that? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I guess I wrote that back in the day. So <laughs> it's it's funny to hear other people talk about you because it's like, those are words that would never come out of my mouth, but that's cool. I appreciate
0: it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, so again, I want to say thank you for having me on your podcast, which came out a, a few weeks ago. It was really awesome to obviously get to meet you and kind of provide some value. And we had an awesome discussion um, for, for the audience. I yeah, wanted to have you on the show to talk about about your journey. Like, what what got you into low fat, whole food, plant based uh, eating? Was it uh, becoming diabetic, or did that come before?
1: It's a great question. So, uh, basically, if we rewind the clock all the way back to like the nineteen eighties, uh, from the time I was a little kid, I was my mom told me that she just was like, I I could not contain you. You know, I have two older sisters, so I was the last of three kids. And my mom tried, but she just was like, she recognized that I just kind of had like a, a bundle of energy from a very young age. So I was just like running all over the place and throwing balls and, you know, so she would just enroll me in like soccer and then baseball and then basketball and then swimming. And I just kind of go from one sport to the next. And so I grew up just kind of like addicted to playing sports. And I just thought that it was normal because that's just what I like to do. Right. So I get to college and I'm at the age of 22. And all of a sudden I started to recognize that my, my body was slowing down which was a foreign feeling to me because uh, I prided myself on the fact that I would wake up early in the morning. I'd have a lot of energy. I can go work out. I can play a game of soccer. I can go lift weights. I can go for a run. And it just kind of felt like I always had energy. So senior year of college rolls around. I'm 22 years old. And all of a sudden I start slowing down and I was like, man, this doesn't feel right. Like what is going on here? And I distinctly remember I was sitting down trying to study for finals And, uh, I just, like, I couldn't keep my eyes open. And I was like, this was, it went, it went beyond like just typical fatigue that you could sleep off with like one or two good night's sleep. This was like a much deeper feeling of fatigue that was like way, 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 way deep inside of my musculature and like deep inside of my brain. And so it just felt like it was a struggle to be able to like do anything. And then in addition to that, uh, my thirst went through the roof. And again, this isn't the kind of thirst that like, you can just pick up a glass of water and drink off. It was like, I would drink a glass of water, like a 16 ounce glass of water. i put it down. And then five minutes later, I was like, oh my God, I'm thirstier. How's that possible? Then I would drink another glass of water, put it down. And then five minutes later, I was like, this has got to stop. So that happened for like 48 hours. And I picked up the phone. I called my sister and I was like, what is going on? I have no energy. I'm drinking, uh, I'm drinking everything under the sun. Uh, and I'm urinating extremely frequently. And my doc, my, my sister, she's a doctor of osteopathy. So she's a family practice doctor, incredibly smart human. And as soon as I said those words, she literally said, Cyrus, stop everything you're doing right now. What you're explaining to me is that you have type one diabetes, uh, drop everything you're doing, go straight to the health center right now and go get your blood glucose checked. And I was like, diabetes, what are you talking about? Diabetes. I was like, I I thought at that time that diabetes was just something that happened to like old people who liked to eat cake. Right. And I was like, okay, this is, that's, that's weird. So I was like, come on, diabetes, what are you tell me? She's like, I don't have time to explain. Just go, just literally hang up with me right now and go straight to the, to the health center. So I go to the health center, check myself in. And there they check my blood glucose and I'm at a 660 blood glucose value. So that's 660 milligrams per deciliter, which is more than six times higher than it was supposed to be. Because mm-hmm. it's supposed to be somewhere between about, you know, 70 and 130, 70 and 140. And so I was like significantly elevated And the, and the nurse looks at me, she goes, how did you get here and i was like i walked is that okay and she's like yeah here's the deal we're going straight to the hospital we're going straight to the er your blood glucose is very elevated we got to get she's like you're in a condition called dka diabetic ketoacidosis don't worry about it we'll explain it to you once you get there and i was like oh god what happens right so long story short to answer your question um i was diagnosed at that moment in time with type 1 diabetes. And then at the same time, the doctors in the hospital had also diagnosed me with two other autoimmune conditions. So type one diabetes was sort of the icing on the cake. Prior to that, uh, I was diagnosed with uh, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. And prior to that, I was diagnosed with alopecia universalis, which is basically, as you can see, I have no hair. So alopecia just means hair loss. So all three of those are, are autoimmune conditions. And as a result of having three autoimmune conditions, the doctors were literally stumped. They were like, We've literally never seen a person that has all three of these autoimmune conditions. Can we talk about you at our next team huddle? And I was like, sure, you can do whatever you want. But I was like, that is not a fun story. You know, you present to the doctor and the doctor's like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with you. Right. So they told me to eat a low carbohydrate diet because that's what that's what you do when you're diagnosed with any form of diabetes. So they were like, here's the deal. If you eat a low carbohydrate diet and if you count your carbs, then you will be able to number one, control your blood glucose very, very well. And number two, you will also prevent yourself from using more and more and more insulin over the course of time. You're going to have to inject insulin at every single meal. And I hate to break it to you, but they're just gonna have to do that for the rest of your life. So we'll teach you how to do that. But if you want to prevent yourself from continuing to use more and more and more then a low carbohydrate diet is the only way to do it. So I was like, all right, cool. What does that mean? They said, you know, red meat, white meat, chicken, fish, turkey, burgers, cheese, dairy products eat a lot of those and try and avoid fruits and potatoes and whole grains because those contain carbohydrates. And then also the cookies and crackers and chips and pastas and sodas don't eat those. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I love eating meat. Great. Sounds like a plan. I'll eat more meat. I'll eat more dairy products. No, no big deal. So I did that for a year. And the promise again, low blood glucose, low insulin use didn't happen to me. Blood low glucose all over the freaking place. I mean, it was a
0: disaster. My glucose was a, mm. was a roller coaster all day long, every day.
1: And, and that's with measuring eaters.
0: your carbs. That's what, that was with measuring your carbs and eating meat. Yeah, exactly right. I was paying attention okay. to exactly
1: what the doctors told me. And I was being very obedient because I was scared that I didn't want to develop another autoimmune condition. So I was yeah. like, all right, I'm going to listen to what they say. So I was controlling my carbohydrate to take somewhere between 100 and 125 grams of carbohydrate per day, which is not considered like a ketogenic diet, but it's like, a, it's yeah. still considered a low carbohydrate diet.
0: Yeah.
1: So I was eating low carbohydrate and um, my glucose was just like literally uncontrollable. At any moment of the day, I could check my glucose. It could be as low as a 40, which is dangerously low, or it could be as high as a 400. And it just felt wow. like there was no logical reason at any moment in time why my glucose was the way it was. So it literally felt like my blood glucose meter was just like a random number generated. Like I was on some game show and I would be like, sweet, what's my glucose now? And I would just check it, and I'd be like, wheel, awesome, <laughs>
0: seventy-five,
1: Right, exactly. And then I would roll it again. I'd be like, great, 130. I have no idea why it's that number right now. Yeah. So- you can imagine if you're that person and you're you're listening to the doctors, you're receptive, you're like, I'm, I'm teachable, I'm coachable. Te- like, tell me what to do. I'll lead a low carbohydrate diet. I'll exercise frequently. I'll keep my stress levels low. I'll reduce my intake of alcohol, right? I was doing all that, but yet my glucose was a freaking disaster. So about a year into this process, I was like, all right, I got to change something. So I started digging for information and talking with people and talking with more people and talking with more people. And this idea of eating a plant-based diet, just kind of like just came out of nowhere and you know i wasn't looking to become a plant-based eater i wasn't trying to become vegetarian or vegan it just popped out of nowhere people were i heard story after story after story from people who had become uh a plant-based eater that they were like man all of a sudden like i either lost weight or i could you know drop my cholesterol or my energy levels got really high and my glucose was controllable and i was like these people making this stuff up sounds kind of cool right (laughs) yeah So I switched over to eating a plant-based diet, but I did it under the guidance of this guy named Dr. Doug Graham, who, uh, he actually wrote a book called the 80, 10, 10 diet. And he yeah. basically teaches people how to eat a raw food diet. And so that was my sort of like first foray into eating, you know, a plant-based diet. And overnight I switched from eating the low carbohydrate diet to a basically fruit and vegetable only diet. And man, the first week was, I will never forget. I will never forget what happened to me in that first week. Cause it was profound. Doug turned to me and he was like, Cyrus, uh, you're going to take all that information that the doctors taught you and that you've been learning for the past year. And you're literally going to confine it in your head and you're going to throw it in the trash can because it is garbage. Instead, what you're going to do is you're going to learn a new way of eating. And in this new way of eating, you're going to basically eat a low fat plant-based whole food diet. And that's going to be coming from hundred percent raw fruits and vegetables. So your carbohydrate intake, by the way, is going to go from about hundred grams per day to like 700 grams per day. So I'm sitting here being like, Doug, you're telling me that I'm gonna seven X my carbohydrate intake and I'm just gonna hope and pray that my glucose is gonna come down and my insulin use is gonna come down. I don't believe you. And he was like, good, don't believe me. I don't want you to believe me. I want you to see it for your own eyes. And I was like, all right, here we go. So under his control for the first week when I was together with him, he basically showed me how to start eating large plates of food that were Nothing but fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. And within a within 24 to 48 hours of making this transition, my glucose started falling like a rock. And, you know, these numbers that I was looking at previously that were like 280, 220, 165, those numbers would come down into like the 105, 67, 75, 82, 91, 85, 83. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is kind of cool. Uh, And then in addition to that, because my glucose was falling so much, I had to reduce the amount of insulin that I was using. So instead of using 45 units of insulin per day, I went down to 42, then 42 to 37, 37 to 31 to 29. And before I knew it after a week, I was using 24 units of insulin. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're telling me I just seven X my carbohydrate intake and I cut my insulin use by 40%. Excuse my language, but what the fuck is going on here? This is incredible, right? Yeah. So that was my first sort of introduction to eating a, a whole food plant-based diet. And then from that point onwards, I went back to graduate school to go get a PhD in the subject because I was just fascinated by what, what was happening. And I and I learned that not only was there a tremendous amount of science backing up the transition that I had made, but that this body of science also applied to people with type 2 diabetes and prediabetes, which is the majority of all people living with diabetes. And at that moment, it was like, my mind was blown. And I was like, holy crap, you're telling me that this form of nutrition, this like general methodology can actually be one of the most powerful treatments, not just prevention methods, but actual treatment for pre-diabetes and type two. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of millions of people around the planet, you know, like now I'm interested. This could be really fascinating.
0: Yeah. That's well, a crazy transition story. <laughs> so, I, I want to go back to. So, you were 22 when kind of all of this happened, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think I heard properly it was 48 hours that kind of this happened, or were you kind of like feeling fatigue and having all these symptoms for weeks on end? And you're like, let me just call my sister, or is it just like it just hit you randomly? And within 48 hours, that's when you called her.
1: Yeah, it's so a good question. So, when I was first diagnosed, um, I I had sort of like in retrospectively, my friends after I got diagnosed told me that for months leading up to that, they could sense that my energy levels were going down. So, okay. from an external perspective, they were like, Yeah, we could see it. Cause like you would be at dinner and you just were sort of like, You weren't as social as you normally were. You were just kind of like, you know, getting super sleepy after you'd eat your dinner. And I was like, How come you didn't say anything to me? And they were like, I don't know. Like, how do you supposed to bring that up to somebody? Like, that feels rude. Right. Yeah. So, People were telling me that I was losing energy. I didn't necessarily detect it until yeah. it got to a breaking point when I was sitting at my desk trying to like drink a bunch of water and I couldn't study it, couldn't concentrate. And then that all of a sudden was like, oh, this feels terrible.
0: Yeah. And so do you, again, I don't like to like hash on the past, but I'm curious, like, yeah. do you see anything that could have led up to you like being diagnosed with these three autoimmune diseases? So it's, you, uh, see, it's you were really active, question. right? Cause you were active. I don't know how you're eating, but you were active.
1: Yeah. Super active. Um, so here's the thing. Like when you, are it's, it's very well known that eating a diet that contains a significant amount of uh, dietary fat is what predisposes you to the development of, of prediabetes and type two diabetes. Like this is a very mm-hmm. well-described uh, body of research, even though the rhetoric in the world is don't eat carbs, right? Yeah. So, you know, we can delve into that in a little bit of detail, but the question is, Is there something that you can do from a dietary perspective that will actually give you an autoimmune condition, like type one diabetes? Like, is it as a result of what I was eating?
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, like, was there anything that you thought of when you got diagnosed that you're like, ah, probably because I did these things or were you more just focused on like the future and here's a new action plan?
1: Yeah. At that, at that moment in time, I definitely was, I was definitely asking myself the question like, what what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Was, did I drink too much alcohol? Did I, you know, smoke too much weed when I was in high school, right? Did I, uh, did I not exercise enough? Was it, what was it like, should I have eaten more of one particular food and eaten less of another particular food? And, you know, I could, I asked myself those questions for like the better part of, I don't know, a year two years or something like that. And then I just stopped at a certain point because I was like, you know what, I'm never literally never going to have the answer to this question. And so like, it's just going to drive me nuts. But when I actually started doing some research to try and figure out what can trigger autoimmune conditions, like there's so many different autoimmune conditions, right? Specifically, what can trigger type one diabetes? Um, There's a significant body of research that demonstrates that when you transition away from breast milk at a young age to cow's milk protein, uh, or sorry, to cow's milk that contains protein that came directly from a cow instead of protein that came directly from a human, yeah. Um, that can actually significantly increase your risk for type one diabetes. And they have these studies where they take two twins who are genetically identical twins and they, uh, they breastfeed one kid for up to, I think it's two years. And then they take the other kid and they transition them away from breast milk and they start feeding him cow's milk protein and they track them over the course of time. And you find that the kid who was actually transitioned off the of breast milk at a young age, uh, actually was a significantly higher risk for type one diabetes. So you see this in like, you know, evidence-based research demonstrates that, um, the transition at a very young age can predispose you to uh, autoimmunity, specifically type one. Um, And then there's also another, there's another mycobacterium inside of food called MAP. It was called mycobacterium avium paratuberculosis, which is just a ridiculous name. But the idea is that this, this mycobacterium is actually inside of the digestive tract of cows. So the story goes, it's inside the digestive tract of cows. They develop a condition called Jones disease, which is like a muscle wasting condition and it kills them. So you're, if you're in an industrialized farm where you have over 500 cows that are all being domesticated together, a few of those cows may end up with Yon's disease inside and they have this mycobacterium inside their, their digestive tract. So they're pooping just like all the other cows and the mm-hmm. fecal material ends up with the mycobacterium inside of the soil. So that mycobacterium ends up getting transmitted from one cow to the next. And then it ends up external on the cow's hooves and on their legs, you name it. So then when the cow goes in for slaughter, then the, um, the mycobacterium can actually survive some pretty harsh conditions. It can survive high temperatures and it can survive some sanitation methods. And so by the time the, the, the animal is actually killed and then put through a sort of like slaughtering, you know, facility, and they take the meat and they package the meat into containers and send it off to the grocery store. The mycobacterium is still present and it is still alive. And then when you go to the grocery store, you can end up with mycobacterium inside of the meat and, or inside of milk. And they've done studies to demonstrate that the bacteria is actually still alive. So when you go to the grocery store and you buy those milk products and those meat products, it can survive pasteurization, you name it. Then you start to consume those foods. And before you know it, now you have the MAP bacteria and that can actually predispose you towards type one. So Damn. a lot of things have to
0: go right in order for that route to actually become viable. But
1: when, it is it that that
0: large, when it's at that large of a quantity around the world though, it's more likely to happen. Right, because it's not just one farm; it's literally like there's millions of animals every year. Exactly right. Exactly right. That the sheer volume of cows uh,
1: that are domesticated in today's world means that the you know the presence of this mycobacterium can increase significantly. But what what really tipped me off, and I wrote about this in the Mastering Diabetes book, is that there were there was one study in particular that tested uh, a random sampling of people with type one diabetes and found that the MAP bacteria was present in one hundred percent of all of those individuals. They found MAP Crazy. bacterial DNA inside of all of those people, right? Does that mean that it caused type one diabetes? No, it doesn't, but it's a very strong association. And yeah. you know, it could be a culprit. So it's it's definitely something to pay
0: attention to. So much easier to root fruits and veggies, right?
1: <laughs> Life is so much simpler if you do it that way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so true. <laughs> I love to talk about, so a a big thing I like to talk about on the podcast is mindset and psychology, right? And how you handle with bad news or like just news that potentially could alter your life is a big defining moment of what the future is going to hold. So for you, what was that like? How did you handle being like, Hey, you're rushed to the hospital. You got these three, you got these three autoimmune disease. Like, how did you handle that news that ultimately altered your life, which again, could have altered it in a negative way, which ultimately ended up altering it in a, in a positive way. Cause then you built all this amazing thing. You're helping tens of thousands of people, like, Correct. what was that initial moment of like, I need to deal with this and make a different choice.
1: Yeah, it was, it was rugged. I'm not going to lie. It was definitely rugged because you know how it is when you're growing up the uh, like mortality isn't really like uh, invincible. <laughs> Yeah, you're invincible. It's not really like a, a, a thought in your head. Like mortality yeah. applies to other people. It doesn't apply to yourself, right? Yeah. Because you're young. You have so much of your life ahead of you. And you're like, you just don't think about the concept of death from a young age, right? And so uh, getting diagnosed with not one, not two, but three autoimmune conditions was the first time in my life at the age of 22, where all of a sudden I was like faced with this idea that I'm mortal, mm-hmm. right? And I, I will die at some point but that my mortality may have just speeded up significantly because the doctors also tell you, they literally told me when I was in the hospital, they said living with type one diabetes means that you can just literally, you can just subtract 10 years off of your life gone. Wow. And I was like, what? They said, yeah. The research says that people who are living with type one diabetes have a, uh, a life expectancy, that's at least 10 years less than the general population. And I was like, Oh, Ten years—that's a lot of time, right? Yeah. So you hear these stories, and then all of a sudden, you feel it inside of your body. And I was just like, "What? What is happening to me?" Right? So, from an emotional perspective, it didn't feel good right off the bat. Number two, I had no answers. I kept on asking questions, like, "What is it that? How did I cause it? Did I cause Hashimoto's? Did I cause alopecia? Did I cause type one diabetes? Was it something I ate? Was it something I drank? Was it something that I didn't eat? Was it was it a, you know too much alcohol? What was it?" Right and again, no answer, no answer, no answer, no answer. answer. So I was like, "This is this is kind of rugged." And then to add to that, I also just it, it became this anxiety uh, inside of me that was kind of like gnawing at me all day long every day, right? Because for the first year when I was eating this low carbohydrate method, this low carbohydrate diet, I just felt terrible. Mm. You know, so it's like. The doctors are giving me a solution. That's what they claimed, right? Here is your get out of jail for free card. It's called a low carbohydrate diet. Why don't you just eat this thing? So I did. I was following directions and I was doing everything I could to be obedient, but it wasn't working. So you can imagine how frustrating that is. It's like one thing if like you buy a car and you're trying to fix your car and you can't get it to work. And all of a sudden you're like, well, whatever, I guess I can just go sell this car. Right. But it's another thing when it's your body Because you can't just go ahead and sell your body. Like you're trapped inside this machine, whether you like it or not. Right. So also another thing is that being, having grown up um, as a pretty active guy, uh, the kicker, the, the, the real reason why I decided that I just could not go down this low carbohydrate route anymore was because I would wake up in the morning and I was just stiff. Like, like so stiff that, you, you know, that type of soreness that you get when you just, push way too hard right you know whether you're running whether you're weightlifting strength training swimming you name it and it's like there's there's this soreness that you get when you go like i don't know five to ten percent beyond your like typical workout range and yeah. it feels kind of good you're like oh cool i'm tightening my shoulders i'm tightening my chest okay i kind of like that feeling right and then yeah. there's the like delayed onset muscle soreness that you get when you're two like, days after <laughs> yeah and then there's that doms that you get when you're like four days after and seven days after where all of a sudden you're like oh god Like, this is painful, right? I was getting glimpses of that. And the thing is, is I hadn't even worked out that hard. So it's like, imagine getting that delayed onset muscle soreness when the amount of the volume of your exercise is actually pretty low, right? So that kept on happening to me. And all of a sudden, I was like, what? I literally feel like I'm an 85-year-old man. I'm only 22 years old. What the heck is going on? This doesn't feel right, right? And so it was when my mobility got challenged that I was just like, oh, hell no. Hell no, you are not taking this away from me. There is no way. Right. And so at that point, I started looking for another option. And then along came a low fat, plant based whole food diet and Doug Graham, who, you know, effectively saved my life.
0: Yeah. Well, it's beautiful. As you mentioned earlier, that there's a point where you just like, I just gave up trying to figure out why kind of all of this happened. So that kind of acceptance of like, I'll never figure it out. Let me just move on with what I know now and do the best that I can. I think that's really powerful because some people can get stuck in that loop of like, why why am I pre-diabetic? Why did I get diagnosed with diabetes or these autoimmune uh, conditions? And then they lose years of their life, not trying to improve themselves, but trying to figure out why they got there. Agreed, agreed. And so it's
1: like the differences between being like problem-oriented or solutions-oriented, right? I had a choice. I could basically sit there and I could t- focus on the problem all day long and I could talk about it and I could just make it more real and feel the pain and just get deeper and deeper and deeper inside of it. And don't get me wrong, I did for a certain period of time. Because it became yeah. my new identity. Every time I would talk with a friend, oh man, how's diabetes? How are you feeling? What's going on? And that just became like the center of all my conversations. And then at a certain point, yeah. I was like, dude, I got to break out from this persona because like, I don't want to talk about this anymore, first of all. And secondarily, yeah. if I just like, if I continue to think about it in this way and just continue to like mope about the fact that my health is like, you know, impaired at this point, then guess what? I'm just going to manifest worse health. So yeah. if I actually want to change the way that my body feels and looks and performs then i have to start looking for solutions and i have to like be optimistic about the fact that it will change in the future so let me start that mindset right here and right now and like boom as soon as i did it unlocked
0: everything and did that come out of like starting to use to lose your mobility was that like obviously the recovery was affected like as you notice as much as i do people don't change unless there's enough pain And so if you're that self-fulfilling pattern of negative self-talk, why me always talking about being diagnosed. And then you talked about like recovery was affected, mobility was affected and you're like, heck no, like something has to change. Was that the, like the last straw for you? That was like, I need to do something about this different. Yeah. Good question. I think that there were two last straws and I'm trying to remember the order in which they came. I think, uh,
1: the first last straw was just like pure, pure, pure frustration. So the, i I, when i was in college i studied mechanical engineering and Mm -hmm. um when you study mechanical engineering you have to like get so deep into the details of like mathematical equations and you know how mechanical and electrical systems work that like you know every freaking detail of every tiny little thing that you're ever that you're building right and the whole purpose is to like be able to create something and control how that thing functions with precision Mm -hmm. right um so if you come from that mindset and you're sort of like your your entire academic pursuit is to try and really like control complex systems, and then you're living in a body where you literally just can't control this complex system in any way, shape, or form, right? doesn't matter, again, how much you exercise, how much you sleep, how much water you drink, how much you meditate, how much alcohol you do drink or don't drink, how low carbohydrate you're eating. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff mattered because my glucose was a freaking roller coaster. So there was just a pure frustration inside of me that was like, Why can I not figure out the one thing, this one machine that seems like it would be easier to control? It's just not working, Mm -hmm. right? So that like base level of frustration, which was just so deep inside of me would just like, it would choke me up and it would start to make me cry at at times because I was like, what did I do to myself? Like I was a happy-go-lucky kid. And then all of a sudden I just get dealt these three cards. And then here I am, struggling questioning my mortality feeling like I'm an 85 year old man can't wake up you know can't recover uh effectively from workouts like can i can i get a do over like what happened right and then the the second last straw for me was the fact that like i said my mobility was compromised and it made me realize at that moment in time that that was that was like the first time that i had ever consciously recognized how high I value mobility. And Mm -hmm. when I say mobility, I don't mean just the ability to like, you know, sit in a chair and get up and walk around pain-free. I mean, to be able to use my body. Like I wake up in the morning and I go and I work out hard and I go to the pool and I swim hard and I want to get on a bike and I can ride that thing for like 30, 50 miles hard, right? That's what I like to do. And yeah. as soon as that got compromised, I was like, no deal, no deal. Not willing to cut. Con- this is a non-negotiable for me.
0: And I'm just out of curiosity. Was it, was it because of the autoimmune issues that were making it harder that you, you were losing your mobility or is it because you were eating meat or that you were eating low carb or was a combination of everything together?
1: Okay. I'll go so far as to say, I don't know the answer to your question. I think it's a great question, but here's what I here's what I did discover. I'll tell you the, the, let me try and verbalize this properly. Okay. When you're living with Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, okay. Hashimoto's hypothyroidism is basically the inability to, to manufacture and secrete sufficient thyroid hormone. Okay, yeah. So the thyroid hormone is called T4 and T4 basically is secreted by your thyroid gland into your blood. And then it circulates inside of your blood and then it gets inside of tissues. It's converted from T4 into t T3. And that's the active form inside of tissues that enables them to Uh, perform normal metabolic functions. And um, I went on to learn 20 years later that T4 is the single most powerful hormone in your blood that controls the process known as mitochondrial biogenesis. And mitochondrial biogenesis is basically, as the name implies, the, uh, the, the synthesis of new mitochondria. So when your T4 level is low, that means that all tissues in your body have an impaired ability to manufacture new mitochondria. And that is very important because mitochondria, as we've all learned in high school class, are the powerhouses of cells. There's literally trillions of mitochondria inside of you. And especially inside of your muscle tissue, each muscle cell can contain up to 4,000 copies of, of mitochondria. So when you limit the ability of the mitochondrial network inside of each cell to be able to replicate and repair itself, then you limit energy production inside of each cell. You have trillions of those cells, and then it becomes a huge problem. So yeah. that's a long-winded way of me saying, when you develop hypothyroidism, most people feel very low energy, and it is very debilitating. So that's the first thing. But beyond that, the diet that I was eating, was I thought it was clean. It wasn't clean, right? The reason I say it wasn't clean is because I went on to learn that a lot of the... Uh, A lot of the meat and dairy products that I were eating that were even, you know, quote unquote organic, if I could find them that way, um, had a whole bunch of, uh, how do I say there were a lot of inflammatory compounds inside of these meat and dairy products that were contributing to inflammation and the inflammation could be present inside of my gut. It was present inside of my liver, my kidney, my brain, you name it, muscle tissue, and so as a result of that, the net effect, <coughs> excuse me, was that uh, I felt extremely low energy and, I, and my muscle tissue literally was, was very tight because I believe my, my muscle tissue and connective tissue was very inflamed. Yeah. So when I switched over to eating a, a plant-based diet, not only was my glucose controllable and my insulin use fall, like I said earlier, but it felt to me like I took an iPhone charger and I just plugged it into a wall. And it just connected to my belly button. And all of a sudden, within like 20, 48 hours, 72 hours, I don't remember, two to three, four, five days, all of a sudden, I was like, Oh, wow, I just got charged with a ton of energy. This feels really good. Right? So I felt more energetic, which means that I could go and start to use my body more frequently. So I would start to go on longer runs, I would start to, you know, play soccer more frequently, and just use my body the way that I was used to. And then the final kicker was that I recognized that not only could I use my body the way I wanted it to, but I was able to recover incredibly quickly. So normal recovery time in between workouts is approximately 24 hours, right? You go to the gym today, you work out hard, and then it takes approximately 24 hours for you to be able to work out again at the same time next next day. That 24-hour cycle had gotten condensed to like 12 hours. This is in my early 20s. And all of a sudden, I was like doing double days. So I'd play a game of soccer at noon and then I would go to the gym at like 7 p.m. And I was like, man, I feel literally, I feel invincible. This feels incredible, right? Yeah. So the to answer your question, like what was it that caused that low energy feeling? The answer is I don't fully know, but it was some combination of the food I was eating, the uh, inflammatory nature of that food, um, living with hypothyroidism and also having uncontrollable blood glucose. And all of that was like the perfect symphony for me to feel like crap. And then I switched over to a completely different perfect symphony where I was eating a significant amount of carbohydrate energy, which was very valuable for muscle tissue. Uh, I was now operating in the carbohydrate economy, AKA I was using glucose as a fuel and storing it as glycogen and using that as a fuel depot. And then I was eating a ton of vitamins, minerals and antioxidants and phytochemicals, which were all helping allow muscle tissue to be able to recover real quickly after a workout. Before I knew it, I was like, okay,
0: this, this is a solution. This feels great. Beautiful. Well, I think you've narrowed down a lot of the potential reasons as to kind of why all of these things were happening. So I I appreciate you elaborating on that, because the big part is I want for the people that are listening to kind of understand that they're feeling some of these symptoms to start to pay attention to it. And I'd like to dive into like two more components. One of them is let's just talk about what does it mean to be pre-diabetic? What does it mean to have type one, type two for the people that are potentially new to it or potentially just got diagnosed with being pre-diabetic? And I'd like to go into actionable plans of things that people can tangibly do after listening to this podcast to support them on their journey. So let's just, if we can go through an explanation of what does it mean to be pre-diabetic type one and then type two. So yeah, the, the,
1: there used to be, people used to think of diabetes as basically being grouped into like two different classifications. There was either type one or type two. And over the course of time, scientists have actually discovered that there's there's many different flavors of diabetes, if you will. Uh, in today's world, there's basically type 1, type 1. 1.5, pre-diabetes, type 2 diabetes, gestational diabetes, and now type 3 diabetes. So there's like six different versions, if you will. Okay. And the simplest way to think about it is that type 1 and 1. 1.5 diabetes are both autoimmune conditions. And what that okay. means is that they are caused by your own immune system mounting an autoimmune attack against the beta cells inside of your pancreas. The beta cells are the ones that are responsible for secreting insulin. They're the only cell type that can manufacture insulin. So, if your immune system goes and attacks those cells, now you have a problem because your insulin production is compromised. Okay. Yeah. So, both of those are autoimmune conditions, and scientists have, you know, some idea of what could predispose you to them, like we were talking about earlier, but they don't really fully know that the true cause. Okay. The other forms of diabetes, pre diabetes, type 2 diabetes, gestation, diabetes and i'm going to put type 3 diabetes which is actually cognitive decline caused you know alzheimer's disease and dementia okay Mm -hmm. all four of those types of diabetes are non-autoimmune and they're caused by a inflammatory diet that is generally speaking very high in fat okay so Again, the rhetoric in the world of diabetes is all about low-carb, 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 because carbs are bad for you. Carbs are going to make you fat. Carbs are going to increase your blood glucose. Carbs are going to spike your insulin. And um, what the the world is waking up to now is recognizing that this sort of like carbohydrate-centric view of diabetes is is a true statement if and only if you also are eating a high-fat diet. Okay? Yeah. So what, what I mean by that is that Diabetes is a lipid disorder. Lipid means fat Mm -hmm. and diabetes is caused by a underlying condition known as insulin resistance and insulin resistance is really the root cause of all of those conditions, pre-diabetes, type two diabetes, gestational diabetes, and type three diabetes. So if you can control insulin resistance and actually reverse insulin resistance, then guess what? your risk for prediabetes type two gestational and type three diabetes basically goes out the door. So insulin resistance is effectively caused by the intake of excessive amounts of dietary fat, specifically saturated fat. And there's plenty of resources to demonstrate that when you increase your intake of saturated fat beyond a particular threshold, then that actually can block the action of insulin inside of your liver and muscle. And when that happens, now insulin signaling just doesn't happen very effectively inside of both of those two tissues. And those are the primary, you know, the, the, most important glucose utilization tissues. And so when insulin signaling just doesn't work inside of your liver and muscle tissue as effectively as it should, it's a huge, huge, huge problem. And so in that state, if you try and eat any carbohydrate energy, whether it comes from a banana or a potato or a bowl of cornflakes or some black beans or some crackers, it doesn't matter. Any type of carbohydrate energy at that moment, when you're already insulin resistant, will make your blood glucose go very high. And so that's why the world believes that carbs are bad for you and that carbohydrate energy is bad for you. Because most of the world, believe it or not, is already living in an insulin resistant state. And as a result of that, when their experience is that when you add carbohydrate to that state, all of a sudden the glucose goes high, what they don't recognize is that the carbohydrate is just a messenger. It's not the the actual root cause of the problem. The root cause of the problem is everything you ate before those carbohydrates. And if you recognize that it's the high fat diet that you're eating that comes from either red meat, white meat, you know, olive oil, chicken, you fish, you name it, that that is actually what predisposes you towards those four different types.
0: So that's interesting. So it's not even the variable that people are noticing. It's like this thing on the side, which again, lipid, that most people wouldn't even consider to, to have an effect. But when we look at the way that Western society eats or the majority of the world eats, it is really high fat, right? Especially with the amount of processed food that we have now. And so- Yeah, absolutely. So that's interesting. So again, when you transition with kind of Doug to go to the 80, 10, 10, because that was my first way of eating as well when I transitioned to vegan eating. Oh, I didn't eating. know that. Okay. Was, was it 80, was, was 80, 10, 10? Um, and then went into like raw veganism and raw till four and did that whole shebang that was happening on YouTube with Philita banana girl, all those people. Yeah, um, of yeah. The, the data raid that he was making, was just like soaked dates <laughs> with water and like coconut sugar in there. Yeah, totally. So that, how was that? Again, you had to have faith in Doug ultimately for you to go through that initial 24 to 48 hours to kind of oh, to yeah. make that jump. And so for the people that are listening that are potentially that, you know, that are pre-diabetic type one, type one point five, type two that are listening to this. And it's the first time they hear about that because with the name of the podcast that we have, we get a lot of people that are like starting to be open to veganism, right? We have a lot of vegans, but a lot of new people that are like just interested in or wanting to learn. So maybe it's the first time they hear that. So what is like, a, again, a piece of advice or an actual goal plan that you can share with them? Because mm-hmm. this is definitely, as you know, the opposite of what's been pushed online and in the media for for decades now.
1: No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, it's unfortunate because I just see so many people lose so many years of their life because they're just adamantly following a low-carbohydrate diet just hoping and wishing and praying that it works for them. And then it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And And before you know it, it starts out with a high blood glucose value then it turns into a high cholesterol value. And then it turns into a high blood pressure and then they're taking blood pressure medication and now they're taking metformin. And then before you know it, they're also on a statin medication and then they have side effects of that. And then they can't eat food because they have a gastric, you know, or they have uh, acid reflux and then, you know, it gets worse and worse and worse. It's just, we see this thing all the time. So, um, You know, the question is, what what can you do? What can you do about this? Um, And it's actually dangerously simple what you can do about it, okay?
0: Um, So simple, people may not do it. (laughs) So simple, the kid's probably wrong. (laughs) Okay. Um,
1: The first thing that you can do is, uh, I'm trying to think of like the simplest way to go about it. Okay. We talked about the fact that carbohydrates are your friend. They're not your enemy, okay? But I want you to make a distinction between refined carbohydrate and whole carbohydrate. The refined carbohydrates are the ones that uh, you find in the center of the grocery store. Cookies, crackers, chips, pastas, sodas, sugar-sweetened beverages, candy, none of that, pastries. Just get rid of that stuff, okay? Those are all manufactured. That's not food. That's just sort of like products of the manufacturing world, okay? Don't eat those foods. Period story. story. Get rid of them. The carbohydrates that I do believe that you uh, would benefit from, most people would, are fruits of all shapes and colors and sizes, starchy vegetables like potatoes and yams and squash, um, and then uh legumes, which are beans, peas, lentils, and then whole grains, which are things like quinoa and brown rice and millet and and barrel
0: like, uh, and all those, yeah. Barrel, barley.
1: Rice, thank yeah. you. Exactly. Okay. So again, fruits, starchy vegetables, legumes, and whole grains. Okay. So, the goal is to try and eat as much of those, that material as you possibly can, and limit your intake of red meat, white meat, chicken, fish, dairy products. Okay. So, how do you get there? Right. Cause a lot of people might be listening to this and being like, oh God, like that seems like a lot of work. Right. And the answer is, I don't want you to try and make that happen overnight. In fact, I strongly discourage you from doing that. If you're going to make the transition to becoming, you know, mainly plant based, literally do it over the course of three to six months take your time because I want you to develop sustainable habits and I want the sustainable habits to work for you as you change your lifestyle slowly. And I want them to work for you five years into the future. So I can pick up the phone and call you and say, Hey, what are you eating? And your answer is, Oh yeah, I'm eating, you know, a primarily plant-based diet because I did it slowly and it's working. Okay. So the simplest tip that I could give you is in the morning, most people will start out by eating a high protein breakfast or high fat breakfast. They'll eat things like eggs, and or bacon, and or, uh, you know, dairy products. Um, sometimes you see people eating like... Uh, yogurt
0: with granola and fruits and stuff like that.
1: There yeah. you go. Egg McMuffins, you know, so you're getting refined carbohydrates from like the granola and or the English muffin in addition to the high fat foods like eggs and and dairy products. Um, and so you're getting, especially getting a, dip, a double whammy. You're getting the refined carbohydrate, which is going to, you know, significantly increase inflammation inside of your liver and you're getting the high fat, which is actually going to decrease insulin action inside of your liver and muscle. So both of them are leading you in the wrong direction rather than eating those foods. I would say just start eating a a breakfast that is mainly fruit. It's literally that simple. Okay. Choose three of your favorite fruits. I don't care what they are. It could be peaches and mangoes and bananas. It could be strawberries and, uh, plums and apricots doesn't really matter, but just go get three different of uh, your favorite fruits and assemble them into a bowl and go get some spices, your favorite spices. It could be cinnamon. It could be cardamom. It could be allspice, whatever you want. Just put them on top of there and eat that bowl. Okay. That's a simple way to start your day. Uh, people who do that oftentimes they go into it being like, yeah, I do. I'm just not going to stay full. It's just not going to work. I don't think so. And I'm like, well, why don't you try it? And then they do. And all of a sudden, like three hours later, they're like, oh my God, I feel so much energy right now. This feels awesome. And I'm like, cool, do it again. And then do it again. And then make the bowl a little bit bigger. And then, you know, continue that process. If you're doing that and you feel like you're just not that full, well then guess what? Eat more and add a third, you know, a fourth fruit or a fifth fruit. Point being is just make it substantial. And when you get a breakfast that's primarily fruit-based, that one tip right there can do wonders for how you feel in the morning. And it can also help reverse this insulin resistance process that I was talking about earlier
0: yeah I think I was gonna say uh eating fruits for breakfast and not making you full like I would say I'm I'm six four 200 pounds when I went to Joshua Tree I ate like a quarter of a watermelon it was a small watermelon and two mangoes and I was stuffed like there's just so much like water and volume I was like I'm full like I don't need to eat more and I was like whatever uh-huh. 200 calories maybe like it was very very minimal. So it's very so easy, very easy to be full because there's so much like vol- water content in it as well.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Exactly right. Um, we, wrote the, we wrote about this in our book that the single most powerful satiety signal in food is called bulk and bulk equals fiber plus water. So when you're eating food that contains both fiber and water together, it gives yeah. you, it distends your digestive system. And all of a sudden it sends a signal up to your brain that says, slow down, slow down, slow down. And then you end up becoming full, but you only took on a few hundred calories. And that's actually the, the key to long-term weight loss as well but yeah, I'm glad to hear yeah. you say that because it does keep you full and you can feel it.
0: Yeah, and, and I like to eat a lot. And so after that, I was like, I don't need anything. <laughs> I think I just waited till lunch, which was like four hours after, which was a pretty totally. long waiting time. So that game plan would apply for people, again, type one, 1. 1.5, two, all the way to three, just to kind of like slowly transition to including more um, whole carbohydrates. Into, into absolutely, their, their absolutely. It
1: doesn't matter what kind of diabetes you're living with. Even if you're injecting insulin, you know, for type one and 1. 1.5, What I'd recommend is you can still do that, um, but just be very hyper aware of your insulin requirements in and around that meal. At first, you might find that your insulin requirements go pretty high, but then over the course of doing that three days, four days, five days, six days, seven days, you'll find that your insulin requirements actually go down. And then it's, you can repeat that process and start to eat other, you know, non-starchy vegetables, starchy vegetables, legumes, whole grains for other meals and watch as your insulin requirements continue to fall down.
0: So would you say that there might be a little bit of an initial spike as they start, but then it'll come down and stabilize? Would that be a pretty consistent pattern for most people?
1: Yeah, generally speaking, that's exactly what we see. Um, and and the reason for that, again, is because we're asking you to sort of like add carbohydrate to an already sort of dysfunctional insulin resistant system. Yeah. And so there's going to be a little bit of a spike, but we just, just don't worry about it. Just literally, it, it's temporary and it'll go away. And then usually what we find within the first seven to 14 days of, of eating this way people's blood glucose tends to come down pretty quickly. And there it's like, it's sort of, uh, it makes you think twice. Every time you do a double take, you're like, how is that possible? I literally just ate three bananas and a mango. And my blood glucose is 97 after the meal, two hours after the meal. You're like mind blown because in your, in your prior life, you ate those and your blood glucose was 300.
0: Yeah. I think it's important for people to know, because if it's the first time listening to this and they try it and they see it spike, most people will kind of freak out. So knowing yeah. that at least at seven to kind of 14 days, you'll see a bigger stabilization over that course of time.
1: Absolutely. Seven to 14 days is usually, it, it takes a little bit of time. Um, most people find it even before that. Most sometimes the people get on like the second day, third day, fourth day, but I'm just saying kind of worst case scenario, um, yeah, yeah. wait seven to 14 days.
0: Okay, so just people to know, like there might is going to be a spike. Don't freak out. It's normal. It's going to stabilize after, and then yeah, it's exactly good right. to kind of continue. And mm-hmm. and also, I want to say for the people listening, like obviously you have an amazing website, an amazing book, Mastering Diabetes. So for the people listening, I'll put all the link down below if you want more information. That's information that's literally what Cyrus specializes in with with Robbie. And so there's a lot of great resources again on your Instagram, on your on your YouTube, on your podcast, on the website, and obviously the book, where people can learn some more about it. Um, is there any uh, any last words of wisdom you'd like to share with people um, that are, again, on that journey right now, potentially just newly diagnosed, and this is a new journey for them to, to take on? Because I know that's once you get used to it, you get used to it, but it's the initial part that tends to shock people.
1: Yeah. Here's what I'd say. I would say strap on your seatbelt. It's an incredible <laughs> ride. It's an incredible ride. Uh, most of the time, people go into eating a plant-based diet with like one objective. They're like, I want to eat a plant-based diet because I want to lower my cholesterol. I want to eat a plant-based diet because I want to lose weight, right? And so they have this like mindset of like, that's the one problem I'm trying to solve. But in the process of eating a plant-based diet, all of a sudden they end up solving 10 problems, 15 problems, 20 problems, 600 problems. And before they know, they're like, oh my God, acid reflux gone, mental clarity, higher, uh, you know, body energy odor digestion. significantly reduced. Yeah, digestion significantly reduced. Lost a little bit of weight. That feels good. More energy. Can sleep better. I mean, the the list goes on, right? So that's why I say strap on your seatbelt. It's an incredible ride. One of the best decisions that you can possibly make for yourself in today's world. And I, I'm a strong supporter, just like you
0: beautiful well Cyrus man I would say massive thank you for taking the time to to jump on the podcast with me really appreciate it I know you're uh, you're a busy man um and I do want to honor the next the last five books because I do remember that I did say 10 so let me just do <laughs> another let me just do another one with this one all right so I guess I don't know I had the opportunity to jump on on mastering diabetes with Cyrus where I did a five book giveaway for Mastering Diabetes. I said 10 on the podcast. And then on my Instagram post, I wrote five. So I still owe five books to Cyrus. So I'm gonna do another five uh, book giveaway with this podcast when it goes live. So as soon as you hear this, head over to my uh, Instagram, the link will be down below in the show notes. Again, Cyrus's Instagram, Mastering Diabetes, everything will be linked down below as well for you to check out. But we'll have uh, another giveaway when this podcast goes live um, so that I can honor the last five books. Dude, you're the man I, I totally appreciate it totally
1: unnecessary but um yeah if you guys also haven't had a chance to listen to uh maxime's interview uh go check out the mastery diabetes podcast you can also find it on our YouTube channel uh it was a really fun conversation I learned a ton from you and uh yeah you know maxime is a is a force for good and uh we we got pretty deep into some exercise related topics so uh it was a really great conversation.
0: Yeah, beautiful. So I'll link that down below again for the people to kind of go to YouTube channel and listen to it. So Cyrus, thank you very much for jumping on the show, man. Appreciate it. And looking forward to our workout uh, in Florida. Heck yeah. you you the man. Thank you so much, Maxime. We'll have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support Please share it with others that would benefit from it. Share it on social media and be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Maxim underscore official and on YouTube at FitVegan. The links will also be in the show notes. I'll see you in the next episode.